Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property. I'm Peter Switzer. This program goes out on our YouTube channel every Thursday night. Just go to Switzer Financial Group and YouTube and become a subscriber and make sure you press the like button. On tonight's show, we look at the Illion report called Mortgage Nation and we see if Aussies are finding it difficult to meet their repayments on their loans. We do that with Illion CEO, Simon Blair. And then we catch up with the founder of Century 21, Charles Tarby, who takes us around the country telling us how house prices are moving right now and where he sees good value or not. And then finally, the founders of M Square Capital say why the lending market has changed for non-bank lenders and those who want higher interest rates on their savings. That's the show, so without any further ado, let's go and talk to Simon Blair from Illion. Well, there's an interesting report out this week from Illion about the state of mortgages and borrowers uh, in the country. And we have the CEO of Illion, Simon Bly, joining me on the program. Simon, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Um, let's go through some of the, the really important issues that um, are in the report. But you've talked about uh, often this week. I've heard you speaking on radio and we've been dual uh, contributors to an interview on, on ABC Adelaide and Channel 7 News. What are probably the big takeouts? Yeah, I think the big takeout is um, some of the changing nature of Australia. So, you know, 60% of mortgages are taken out by a couple, typically a man and a woman, although yeah. we're seeing increasingly single sex, uh, yeah. um, uh, single gender mortgages. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but 40% of mortgages now are taken out by single people. Yeah. And that reflects obviously still a healthy home uh, buy market for first home buyers, yeah. uh, but also an increasing number of divorcees. Mm, that's a good point. And you also made um, an interesting observation that a lot more older Australians have a mortgage and are taking out mortgages. Is the divorce bit linked to that? It, it, it could well be linked to that. Yeah. Yes, we saw about one in eight mortgages, so just over 12% over the last two years have been taken out by somebody aged over 60. Mm. And there's a few drivers for that. Um, firstly, they've not managed to pay off the house, so you know they're, they're still going and yeah. they've still got some uh, years to repay it. Um, but also people who just want to fund their retirement lifestyle um, despite the fact that they're not earning as much income. So, you know, they've been working for the last 30, 40 years, built up some equity in a house. Mm. Rather than leave it to the kids, yeah. they'll draw it down. Uh, and Blow them. And, uh, exactly, and <laughs> use it in their retirement. Yeah. And finally, you've got this phenomenon of uh, um, people funding aged care. Yeah. So if you're going into an aged care facility, a retirement home, mm. you need to put down a bond. Mm. You might use your home equity to do that. Yeah. So good news for them, but obviously it's about a billion dollars yeah. a year that their children don't yeah. have. And as I was listening to, there, there would be those retirees who might sell a valuable home, put a lot of it into super, and maybe borrow $200,000, put $400,000 down, buy a $600,000 apartment, and borrow $200,000. And, and they may well be you know, in the 60s um, and not quite retired and they could get a loan and, and so on and so forth. So That's right. Explain those unusual numbers. Yeah. And of course, we are living longer. We are. And so, and a lot of people are working to their 70s. So what, what used to be seen as retirees, 60-somethings, they're, they're still working. That's right. Mm. And very bankable by bank, you know, into their 70s. Mm. Um, 
Also, I was intrigued uh, around the figure $20.4 billion worth of home loans are currently in arrears. Now, if people don't know how big loans are in this country, it could be a scary number. But how scary is that number? Yeah, so not very. Right. Um, the Bad for the people who've got it, but, but not for, as a national problem. Co correct. So the mortgage market in Australia is worth about $2.15 trillion. Mm. And just to put that in context, you can compare that to the market cap of the ASX, mm. which is around about the same number, $2.2 trillion or the 2.9 trillion that we've got in superannuation. Um, and obviously you, you look at that 2.1 trillion and you go, that's a big number, but Aussie houses are worth about 10 trillion. Mm. So in the context of the housing stock, it's a relatively small number. Of that number, about 20 billion is overdue. Mm. Uh, and that means somebody hasn't paid their mortgage for the last 30 days. Mm. So a big number, uh, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, not not something we should all um, you know worry about. Too Simon, much. did I hear one percent mentioned as a? That's right. A yeah, what, what, one percent, and um, you know, a lot of those how a lot of those people will still have equity in their house. Yeah. So if things really get tough, the option is always there to downsize. And I, and I guess people think, oh, if this is happening, they're finding it hard to make their payments. But there could be a whole lot of other reasons for people not making their payments. That's right. And what we see is we see a ladder where, um, you know, first, and this isn't necessarily rational, but this is what people do. Yeah. Uh, if they're struggling for money, the first thing they do is they cut down on discretionary items, mm. pay TV being a classic one. Yeah. Then they don't pay their credit card. Mm. Then they don't pay their buy now, pay later provider. Mm. Then you don't pay your phone, mm. your utility, Mm. something to do with your car. The last thing, the thing you want to protect most of all is the yeah. roof over your head. Yeah. So often people who are in trouble with their mortgage mm. have a lot more issues, but they also have equity in their house which fundamentally can protect them. Yeah. What do you think, um, looking at the overall um, mortgage uh, market in Australia, do you think that... Um, that a lot of borrowers are, have actually overpaid their mortgage. Were you able to get a handle on that? We don't actually see how much they pay in advance. Mm, okay. um, so it would be very interesting data to see. Mm. Um, we don't, unfortunately, yeah. we don't see that. Yeah, I've, I've seen some big numbers and it, it quite surprised me. But because of all the rate cuts, some people just don't adjust their payments. Sure. They, they've been overpaying. Um, baby boomers um, and looking after their millennial children, this is something you, you draw attention to as mm. well. We were surprised when we analysed the data um, how many first-time home buyers there are. So, you know, house prices have been on, on a, a you know, quite, a, quite a nice uptick over the last few quarters. Um, and about 20% of loans are taken out by people, um, you know, under 30. Mm. Um, now, uh, at the same time that, that that's happening, um, houses house prices relative to income are high in Australia. Mm. Sydney is the second highest um, uh, country in the world after Hong Kong when you look at affordability on that ratio. Um, so what that says is, first-time home buyers, it is an expensive commitment. It's a commitment not many of them can make. So parents, perhaps drawing down equity on, in their property, mm. 
in order to help their children get their first rung on the housing ladder, mm. we think is a, is a really observable trend. Mm. And what have you seen, therefore, in reverse mortgages? So reverse mortgages increasing, mm. yes, definitely. Mm. What, what we also see is you know, distress. So of that 20 billion of arrears, um, it's likely to be, if you're under 40, that's, that's the area where, as you get older, you're less likely to be in arrears. It's at the younger end when you've got your first, uh, first few steps on the ladder when you might hit trouble times. Mm. Um, is there any information in this report, which you've called Mortgage Nation, um, about the, the actual take-up of loans at the moment? Yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing loans come back to the levels that they were at a couple of years ago in terms of volume. Mm. Um, the value of loans is steadily on the increase, reflecting the increase in the housing. Mm. And I think the thing, we, the thing we'd like to watch is that arrears number, that $20 billion, mm. that is starting to deteriorate, not at a worrying level, mm. um, but the trend is, uh, is, is you know, not good. Yeah. yeah, we probably should explain to people, Ilian, what in the hell is Ilian? Yeah, so Ilian, uh, Ilian is uh, what was called Dun & Bradstreet, so we've been mm. in Australia for 135 yeah. years. Uh, we probably know more about data than most other businesses yeah. in the country. If you want to know your credit score, you can jump on one of our businesses, Credit Simple, and you can see your uh, credit score and your credit file for free and see if a bank would give you a mortgage. What does Ilian stand for? It's a made-up name. Oh, right. uh, it sounds so you're, ancient you're, Greek, You're doesn't meant it? to think about millions and billions <laughs> and trillions, which right. is all the kinds of data that we've got and the connections that we can make. Yeah. Now, I see here, West Australia and Tasmania are Australia's largest mortgage states. Yes. What do you mean by that? So between 30% and 40% of Australians mm. have a mortgage. At the lower end, it's mm. uh, places like the Northern Territories mm. where few more people rent mm. and only about, I think it's 29% of people have a mm. mortgage. At the other end of the spectrum, WA, nearly 40% of people have a mortgage. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think people filled their boots with, uh, with property when mm. times were good. We also see the highest rates of distress in WA. Mm. Um, and property investors, is, are, are there any uh, lessons there about what's going on with property investors? Yeah, the, the, um, we're seeing quite a, a large increase in interest-only mortgages. They're obviously very highly correlated with um, investment properties. Yeah. And mainly at the uh, a lot of growth in the 30 to 40 area, which is interesting. So not only the 30 are, to 40 age. Yes, yeah. not only are people looking to um, you know get onto the property ladder themselves. Mm. If they're believers in property, they're also doubling up by getting yeah. an investment property. So I guess if you're in your 40s and you're doing it, you're, you're probably doing very well in your job and you're paying lots of taxes. Therefore, that's your encouragement. Yeah. But if you're seeing 30 year olds doing it, they're probably ones who can't live or buy where they want to live, so they're actually getting the property ladder by becoming property investors. That's that, we would agree with that. Yeah, okay. Is there anything else you'd like to inform us about? Um, I think uh, I think we've covered we've that covered pretty comprehensively. Yeah. Well, I've asked every question I wanted to make. Thanks for coming on the program. Pleasure. That's Simon Bly, CEO of Ilion. If you're in the market for property, you won't want to miss Charles Tarvey on Switzer TV Property every month. It's time to catch up with Charles Tarvey for a special Tarvey report on what's going on in the market right now. Charles, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Mate, um, everyone's hearing the auction clearance rates in Sydney and Melbourne. Like, mm. I've seen 80% numbers. Yeah, yeah. And they do get peeled back, I think. But 
is this market hotter than you expected? Well, I think it's hot, but I mean, obviously auction clearance rates are just a small part of what happens in the real estate market. Mm. You know, the, the private treaty market is, is the market. That's to the for into. sale market. I mean, that's yeah. where to look into it. Yeah. And auction clearance rates can be adjusted up or down, but there's no denying that there's more activity and more interest in real estate across the country. No denying. Yeah. And the one thing that's keeping it nicely balanced, and I don't like saying nicely because I'm going to refer to banks, mm. is the fact that the banks are holding back in terms of lending okay. and making it difficult for people to borrow. Yeah, But I can remember two or three years ago when the market was going ballistic, I think, the, mm. when we, we learned that the median house price in Sydney was a million dollars. You were worried about that. I was, yes. And, and it, was, it was too hot, uh, rising too yep. quickly. And of course the banks were in a sense, lending too freely. Uh, yeah, they were. And then so, interest rates dropped, and I yeah. thought, gee, that's no good. Then mm. they dropped again. I, I started to think this yeah. is going to be panic situations. Yeah. And, and yeah. it turned out that way. Yeah. But you feel that what you're seeing now is very different than, say, two years ago. Very. It's balanced. Mm. So you've got people who want to sell, people who want to buy. They're negotiating more now. It's not as though they're turning up and it's a crazy situation yeah. uh, because not everybody can afford to buy. And as I mentioned, the banks aren't giving everybody money as yeah. they were before. So there's a selected few that can buy and there's a selected few that want to sell. And that balance mm -hmm. is, is sometimes the issue, whether mm -hmm. there's not enough sellers and too many buyers or the other way around. Yeah. Uh, but across the country, and I travel around, I've just been traveling around the country. How many outlets do you guys have? Oh, a few hundred sitting out there oh, somewhere. Yeah, well, okay. no, no, you know, I say that. I, yeah. I don't mean to say that flippantly. Yeah. It's always very difficult to judge the number. People are retiring, people are selling, yeah. people are joining. Uh, but I've, I've just come back from Perth. And I'm just about to go to Adelaide. Yeah. I've been speaking to the guys in Victoria, New Zealand, Queensland, NSW. Yeah. All of them are saying that, especially Perth, and we picked Perth that, last time we yeah, spoke, yeah. they're saying that that marketplace is really strong. Vacancy rates are low. Good mm. listing, good it's number of listings. It's the first time in a while, mate. I, I know, mm. and, and good number of listings. And so I, I think that that's the marketplace that we really should be watching okay. very closely. One of the things that was a problem for house price rises was the lack of supply, particularly in Sydney. Yeah. And Melbourne had a, had a problem there mm. as well. Are more people putting their place on the market for sale? I think we've got just as many properties for sale now as uh, in, across Australia as we had this time last year. Mm. So it hasn't gone down, which mm. is great. And then there's a lot of people now thinking, okay, you know, this is probably the time to sell and, and, and go and retire and, and do what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, people sat on the fence for too long last time mm. and many of them lost out. Now they're starting to see the opportunities back again. So we're starting to see that flow of stock. I'm certainly seeing an increased level of stock in my organisation, mm. higher than the industry average or the stats that we see across the country. Okay, mm. let's go around the country. So. The Sydney market, how would you describe it now? Yeah, people are turning up at opens, uh, lots of people turning up at opens mm. for inspections now. Mm. The agents are excited, you know, usually I find out uh, when things are not so great because, mm. uh, you know, I get the phone calls that we need this, we need that, something's wrong here, but yeah. they're so busy now that you don't want to talk to me anymore. Yeah. So I get a good, good indication yeah. that things are pretty good in Sydney. Best suburb in, in Sydney? I like, still like the um, outer west pocket. Um, that is just below the northwest sector of Sydney, around the M7, uh, M4. That pocket there is still undervalued, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. I think southwest uh, uh, going down through uh, to Liverpool, there's some pockets in there that yeah. people have thought, I don't want to live there, but they're very, very Classic undervalued. Classic uh, you, you go If you go back up into the pocket around the M7 and the M M4, you're still back into the Hebersham those areas there. I talk about those yeah. areas a lot because you can buy a home, get a rental return for the same amount of money you probably pay for a block of land a few kilometres north. Yeah, extraordinary. Mm. All right, let's go to uh, Brisbane now because 
That's really struggled for a long time. What, about 10 yeah, years or something? Yeah, it had a massive boom in the early part of 2000, didn't it? Or, or in the late 1900s. It, 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 it did. Just, yeah, it, went, it was ahead of yeah. the rest of the country. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and then it fell behind. Yeah. Uh, there, there was uh, a, uh, a newspaper advert that was recommending I buy in South East Queensland yeah. a few years ago. I had to ring the radio station and say, look, I've never said that. Yeah. Uh, because I thought that that area was, in my view, oversupplied. Yeah. And same with some of the, uh, the uh, unit areas are mm. oversupplied but now when you look at it the pricing is perfect yeah. it's so much better and, and the easiest way to determine when Brisbane is going to take off mm. is look at what Sydney medium prices <coughs> medium prices and and if you can sell in Sydney and buy in Brisbane and still have a, a, a chunk of money left over yeah then you know that's when you should be buying yeah. and that's where it is now. and I believe that the migration from New South Wales to Queensland mm. is on the rise again and that was the, the last time there was a driver for Brisbane prices there was a big migration I think, I think Beatty was a, a was premier in those early mm. days it's yeah mm. I'm not uh, I don't know whether I'm, I'm same age as you <laughs> uh, anyway, no you're right uh, yeah. then but look if you look at the the north part of uh, uh, Brisbane, yeah. going all the way up uh, North Lakes, up to Redcliffe, those areas, and even the Sunshine Coast. Everybody talks about southeast, southwest mm. Queensland. I think that uh, is there a southwest? Yeah, there is. Not, not too it much of the southeast. Yeah, is yeah. It? Uh, if you look at uh, those areas, especially in the Sunshine Coast, there's a massive amount of development that's going on there. Yeah. Airport expansions, transport. Yeah, there's a, ra a railway line. Correct. Going and in, if you look right. from Brisbane all the way up through North Lakes and those areas out to Redcliffe is some great buying, great suburbs, great lifestyle. So yeah. a lot of people haven't quite picked up on that. And those areas here are the ones that I think will have the best gain. Go to Melbourne. Melbourne has been a very interesting uh, situation there with uh, agents. They've had a pretty tough time. They had a glut of apartments for some time there yeah. and, and their prices were slow. Auction clearance rates were terrible for mm. quite some time. Uh, well, what we're seeing now, of course, is that that's all clear. All that backlog is gone. Mm. All the issues have gone. Mm. Again, you still have a quantity of buyers who are qualified. Mm. There's a lot of buyers, but not everyone's qualified so the banks, yeah. in, in those areas. And then you're starting to see development come up around uh, the bay, around Point Cook and down through there started to increase again all the way to Geelong. They seem to be connecting very, very strongly through there. But the area I like most is, is go Bayside and go all the way down to Frankston and those mm, areas. Mm. Because there, and, and, and if, you, if you go east of Frankston, those areas, in my view, uh, with the infrastructure still kicking in, yeah. they will be the areas that you should be buying. Well, in I spent Christmas at Mount area. Martha, which is not far, not from, far there. from there. What a great spot. It's like being in Europe. When you look at that beach, yeah. it's, it's, it's like it, being it's in Greece. It's crazy. You've got these beachside uh, suburbs, or oceanside suburbs. Mm. What you've, you've got? Yeah, baseline. Yeah, yeah, all the way down. Yeah. All the way down. And, and you look at Frankston, I picked Frankston because I've got a business in Frankston. Mm. Uh, and uh, I look at that area and you've got uh, first home buyers mm. all the way through to multi-million dollar buyers just yeah. in that area. Yes, amazing. Mm. Let's go quickly to, to Tasmania because Hobart's mm. done really well. Mm. Is it coming off the boil? Uh, I think Hobart, the issue I've always had with Hobart is that the prices were moving too quickly. Uh, investors from Melbourne who had equity were flying down into there or even Sydney and so on. Yeah. And then I watched the rents climb and that really concerned me. Right. They had a gain from January 15 when I looked at the last stats through to uh, about six or seven months ago. They had a 30 to 35% gain gain on rental values in that period of time. Mm. Now, I looked at it again just in the last couple of days and it's down to 18% gain from January 2015. Mm. Mm. So it, it is an area that worried me because when you get too many investors in there, of course, as you know, 
and then they're now competing for, to find a tenant. But nonetheless, there are developments down there. Um, there's a marina down there that's been developed by some clients of mine and those areas. They're, they're doing very, very well. We have an office sitting in uh, Launceston and in Davenport, uh, and those areas again very, very strong. You wouldn't even know yeah. uh, that they were so far away from yeah. the mainstream. But I, I reckon there are some Herbartians, if you can mm. call them that, who got tired of, or, or I, they've seen their value prices have gone up, yeah. and they're going to Launceston and Devonport yeah. to take their money and to run get, away. To get get the old-fashioned life you'd see in Launceston. You've got Devonport. access, you've got the airports, you've got, you yeah. know, you've got the shipping areas there in Devonport, uh, you've got a good uh, uh, level of population, mm. quality living, quality lifestyle, yep. quality restaurants, you know, why wouldn't you? Get away to Adelaide. Adelaide's a great city and that's started to take off too. I mm. spoke to many of the agents recently there mm. and uh, once again, uh, you know, it's it's one of those places that never really went crazy in the yeah, It doesn't shoot the lights there, but no, it just gradually it just creeps gradually, up. gradually mm. crept up and it stopped for a little while yeah. and it's back in there again. Mm. I noticed the clearance rates for auctions are pretty good for Adelaide. Okay. ACT, don't ignore the yeah, capital. Yeah, it, it, again, uh, you know, you know, that's an area because of the public service, you're going to always get that security mm. in terms of, of uh, your rental return and, and so on. Um, they've had to expand suburbs there mm. to cater for the people that want to go mm. and live in Canberra. Mm. Uh, again, it's just, it's one of those places that sits on its own. Last week, not this weekend gone, but weekend before, the clearance rates, although they didn't do a lot of auctions, was at 90%. Okay. Now, even if you take 25% off that or 30% off that, mm. that's still a Huge. good clearance rate. Now, I've heard that Houses are done really well, but there been, has been an oversupply of units in, yeah. in Canberra. Look, everywhere you look, um, the, the, the way the councils have reacted to this recent boom, and as you know, everything seems to follow a little bit too late. Yeah. So the, the, they see a need for um, medium density housing, they change the, the rules a little bit, and then by the time you get a development through, the market's already slowing down, yeah. and that's the problem with it. And everywhere you go, wherever you drive, I mean, I caught a train, believe it or not, mm. and uh, from, from the city to where I live in the Blue Mountains, mm. to Glenbrook, and uh, I fell asleep on the train, Peter. It's something to do with old age. And I was facing back uh, yeah. this way, the train. And we pulled up at the station. I looked and I saw all these apartments. And mm. I thought, oh, gee, I'm at Seven Hills. Mm. And then the train moved along a little bit and it said Penrith. Mm. And uh, this, that was a, a, a base, uh, an army base. Mm. And it's just completely flooded with apartment yeah. uh, style living. Everywhere you look, you're seeing them popping up in so, some of the most unusual pockets. Mm. And this is where I think the issues might occur for some developers. Okay, one last thing, Darwin. Uh, well, Darwin's a, a city on its own. We always talk about this city. It's more become more of an Asian based city than it is part of Australia. Mm. Uh, so their their economy has really suffered for, for a very strong yeah, period of time. Uh, their prices have been down, their rents have been down, their vacancy rates are high, and that's still flowing through. That's taking a lot longer to change. It doesn't seem to be connected to what's happening around the rest of the country. Yeah. That's Charles Tarby with the Tarby Report. Thanks for joining us. Need to sell, looking to buy. Founder of Century 21, Charles Tarvey, can fill you in on all the property news you need to know. Well, we have a few financial challenges at the moment with the coronavirus scaring the pants off Wall Street at long last, and that's going right around the world. And it raises questions at a time when debt levels are very high. To talk about all this, and the structural changes that are going on in the property and the debt markets. We have Paul Mirren and Paul Miliotis 
from a company called M Squared Capital. Guys, thanks for coming to the program. Thank you. Thanks, um, now, let's start with you first, Paul. Sure. Um, you know, I get this all the time about banks. When will they start lending again? And, and what's your opinion on this? Absolutely. So, um, great question. Um, we think that there's actually a structural change versus a cyclical change. Mm -hmm. And you really have to go back to where we had the GFC. Um, at that particular point of time, internationally speaking, uh, especially in the US, banks were leveraged between 15 and 40 times. Yeah. And with a lot of extra regulation of them being able to compress, uh, compress the balance sheets mm -hmm. as well, um, they weren't able to, to lend money as easily. Uh, they needed to have more capital and with low interest rates as yep. well. Um, so those combinations uh, have led to a lending gap. And uh, just with those combinations, would you believe that in America, 70% of all of lo commercial loans that are being generated are actually being funded by private credit or mortgage funds, mm. just like here in Australia? And, and I guess uh, the, the Bank of International Settlements yeah. have put pressure on central banks to then put pressure on banks. And we know the CBA was basically forced after the Murray inquiry yeah. to actually up their capital, less money available for lending. Precisely, so on Basel III, which has now become a, a international standard, mm. uh, they have to leverage themselves, I think within the range between 11 and 15 times. Um, that has actually compressed a lot of ability for banks to actually lend mm. money. So, um, and, and in conjunction with the regulation as well, mm. the Royal Commission, um, we see that there is a lending gap as a result. And, and you made the point that 70% is coming from non-banks yeah. now in the US. Does that surprise you? Well, um, it doesn't surprise us only because if you really look at the deleveraging that they've had to do, mm. um, it, it is surprising from another perspective that um, they're a lot more sophisticated. In America, they're a lot more sophisticated. Investors really appreciate and understand mm. Uh, from an investor side, they appreciate and understand that the margin that they're receiving for an illiquid investment is about five, six percent. Mm. And so there's a real big demand from the investor side. And from the borrower side, obviously with the banks deleveraging, mm. the combination of these two has been able to create the situation where, you know, well, 70 percent of all commercial loans are being originated mm. by non-banks. Yeah. Paul, are you worried about this? Or, or the fact that people are getting money Talking for banks, but they're not really paying the kind of breaknet rates they used to in the old days. Look, I'm I'm concerned in the US side of things where a lot of their money is going to fund businesses. Okay. So when you are funding businesses with private debt, mm. um, there's risk there. So for example, the coronavirus you mentioned before, mm. um, once black swan, swan event, not saying that that is, but it potentially could be, mm -hmm. can ruin complete industries or complete business. So if you are lending to those sectors mm. and you have not secured by a property and you're purely secured by the mm. business, we do feel that that is a risk. Mm. Um, that's why in our market, for argument's sake, um, we lend only against property-backed yeah. security because you can always walk past a property, know what it is. There is some value associated with a property, but a business can just go, to yeah. zero. Yeah. Um, so you, we should explain, you, you guys are in the lending game, but it could be, and it can be for a business, but there still has to be a property there to make the, the, the proposition safer for you guys and the people who give you money to lend on their behalf. Yeah, look, M Squared Capital, we are a non-bank lender, so mm. we, we do fund um, in the debt space. Yeah. Um, we categorically don't lend to businesses on their own. Mm we must have security and mm. it must be 
in the eastern seaboard. You sound like old-fashioned banks. Uh, they <laughs> say that. <laughs> yeah. uh, look, in terms of the look, people come to us for a number of reasons. Yeah. The, the one reason they want to get away from the banks is because we are dynamic. We can do things quickly, yeah. um, and that's kind of the time essence that we look at. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you both, you guys, were talking to me off um, camera, and you're talking about uh, some stories that Chris Joy's been writing in the mm. AFR. Now, Chris is often on the property show, picking yeah. on the doomsday merchants and whatever. But That's right. he's got a, a little bit doomstering himself, hasn't he? He has, because um, with this coronavirus, for mm. example, you have a lot of businesses, for example, that could have supply constraint issues because mm. they can't get the product out of yeah. China yeah. and their business model is not necessarily going to be working yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and if you're lending, and in, in the US they lend, and they're quite big actually in lending to businesses, but only secured by the businesses, mm. and they normally lend between between four and six times. Mm. Um, so if you have a supply issue such as what we're experiencing now with yeah. some companies, some industries, mm. um, it'll be very hard to recover your money if you had to yeah. sell that business. How scared are you, Paul, about you know, Chris's alarma story? Because he, he can, he's a mate of mine, he, he can go over the top sometimes. Look, to be fair, I really like Chris. Sorry, Chris, <laughs> but we, we really like you. Um, yeah. We are... Yeah, I apologise, <laughs> admitting that in public, you like Chris Joy, but go on. Um, look, we, we think there should be some concern to lending to businesses. Yeah. Um, we're completely out of that. And yeah. look, we're not saying um, that every business is a bad business, but mm. we do, if you're looking at risk and reward, yeah. Um, our view is the risk on certain businesses to lend purely against the business is on the high side. Yeah. In saying that, certain people want the return for that. That's yeah. fine. Um, but we definitely in our business mm. think that it is an um, extremely risky sector to be in. Yeah. All right. yeah. Paul, a couple of times you've mentioned the word lending gap. Mm -hmm. Some people might not understand what that yeah. means. What is a lending gap? Well, lending gap is basically the difference between the demand and supply of money. Yeah. So in Australia, depending on what research you read, mm. it could be anywhere between $90 billion and $120 billion, mm. which is quite significant, yeah. and it's actually growing as well. And the non-bank lenders are filling up that Absolutely. gap, and that's where you guys pl play as well. Yeah, so we actually fill in the gap. But more surprisingly, we fill in the gap um, but uh, the actual deals that we do are actually bankable transactions. Mm. And as uh, what uh, Paul mentioned before, is a lot of people come to us because we can give them speed assurance uh, in relation to getting and understanding the business, which is really critical. So the yeah. number one reason why people come to us because they feel that we understand what their requirement is and we can actually give them covenants that they're comfortable with as well. Okay. What are you seeing in relation to the riskiness of the deals that come into you guys? We see a huge gamut of deals. So you may see things that are on the lower risk side, mm. which we are... And, um, and, and they're getting those from banks? And we're getting those that typically banks used to write. Okay. And we right. are seeing a huge mm. amount of those deals at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah mm. we do see um, other deals that are on the higher end of the risk mm. scale. Mm. Um, the beauty with our business is our investors can choose whatever they want to do. Mm. A lot of them will gravitate to the smaller risk, but we've got higher risk-seeking investors yeah. who want a bigger return. That will chase the risky deals. But mm. in summary, we are seeing a lot of deals that three or four years ago the banks would have taken with two hands mm. that now we're actually surprised that are coming to non-banks. But again, as Paul mentioned initially, we don't think this is going to change. We mm. think structurally we're going to continue. Mm. This is not an anomaly we're getting these deals. Mm. Yeah. We believe these deal flow will continue. So from your point of view then, if banks are saying no really uh, easily or quickly compared to the old days, 
the kind of deals that come into you are, are, are in a sense, better ones for you. Because you, you know, if they were taking all the good ones in the old days, you had to sort of measure the risk and it became a little bit more difficult for you. It's easier for you to, to get you know, good kind of deals. But also you mentioned, uh, Paul, you mentioned that you know, the investor can, can pick. Explain what you mean by that. A lot of people wouldn't in, understand that. Because most people put money to people yeah. like you and they go off and you guys choose where the money goes. With our business, we've got something that's called the contributory fund. So you can... So slowly? <laughs> you always get me on that one. Um, I'm glad she's saying it, not by, me. By contributory, what we mean is you get to choose on a deal-by-deal deal basis. Okay. So we've got people, for argument's sake, that say we don't want any construction at all. Mm. Don't give us any construction risk. Mm. We've got other people that say, well, I used to be a builder. I love construction. Mm. And we'll take that risk. But the beauty with us is we give our investors a whole snapshot of what deals we have and they can put money into whichever deal they want secured against a particular deal. Okay. Um, you know, at a time when people are a bit spooked by the stock market and, you know, question marks about indebtedness or what coronavirus might do, what do you think investors can expect 2020, Paul? It's a good question. It's a well, loaded question. Well, well, no one knows. Yeah, no one knows. <laughs> but you, you um, I know my business, I have to make a guess. Yeah, is no. this economy going to be good? Am I, yeah. going to, am I going to invest in my business? Am I going to hire new employees? If I thought that we were going to go to hell in a handbasket, <laughs> I wouldn't be employing new hand, uh, people. Look, I am employing new people. Yeah. Look, other than the uh, uncertainty with the coronavirus, yeah. I think the fundamentals of what we have in the current market is pretty strong. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing a recovery in the property market. Um, and in that particular sector, I think the flow-on effect we yet to see the benefits of that as well. Yeah. So, you know, without the black swan event that I know that a term that you like to use. Yeah, it's always um, a possibility. Yeah. Otherwise, we think that we have a pretty positive outlook for 2020. Okay, one last question then. Um, if the coronavirus um, makes the Reserve Bank either cut rates again or yeah. stay on hold for a lot longer, mm. what does it do to your business? Well, actually, um, interest rates don't have that much effect on our business because mm. the lending gap is there mm. and investors are still requiring a return on money yeah. and, um, and it's a premium above other alternative investments mm. uh, which is currently sitting at 5-6% if they invest with us mm. which is very, very attractive. Mm. So I, it's unlikely that interest rates will go up. Mm. Um, even before the coronavirus, we were looking at two, three years, yeah. that it was going to be the same. I think, I think with all this uncertainty that we have right now, so just pushing that yield curve even yeah, longer. It could be longer. So. All right, guys, thanks for joining us. Okay. Thank you very Thank much. You. That's Paul Mirren and Paul Miliotis from M Squared Capital.